morning. Huh? Thanks. Now, with any luck, oh, yep. have you ever played that game where um, everyone puts their hand in the middle and you grab hands and then you have to kind of extract yourself out to be a circle? Anyone done that? Yep, yep, yep. It's, uh, five people, no problems. 10 to 15, it's starting to get difficult. More than that, you end up with multiple circles and it's more challenging than Twister in terms of the bodily movements you'll make to try and make the circles. Um, things get really complicated. It ends up being a, twist, a cross between Twister and Robic's Cube. And there's always a moment when you do this game, when you're trying to untangle everybody without breaking your hands, when you think, this is just not possible, you can't do this. Let's just do what fishermen do. The line is too complicated, so you just cut off and leave the stuff behind. Yeah. <coughs> fishermen do do that in the end. They, they, they leave their sinkers on the boat. Not something climbers do, eh? You and uh, climbing ropes are too valuable for that. Climbing gear. Sound people, you're still going to untangle the cords, aren't you? It's just the nature of the animal. In Colossians, Paul writes, um, For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. When I think of all things being reconciled, I think, I wonder if that means the ropes get untangled. We, of course, live on the journey towards this, but sometimes it seems like it's a long way off. I had a plan that I was going to present a whole series of stories, and they were going to be beautifully interlinked, and I would make, make the good connections, and then I got a dulled. Um, and I've had a head cold most of the week, so I've got some stories for you. I hope they are helpful. In the last month, we've been, the month before May, we were looking at mission, and we looked at the Great Commission. And we listened to Gail and Chayat and to Kevin and Angela and a bit from Aratahi. And uh, we'd have stopped there, but I felt like there was actually a little bit more listening to do. Aratahi reminded us of the Great Commission and, and highlighted a few things. They, they noticed the, the disciples meeting Jesus, worshipping him, but still doubting. And then Jesus saying, listen, I've, I've, given, I've been given authority. Go out and make followers of Jesus, of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them, and I am with you. So when things look pretty scrambled and tangled, and they do at times with ongoing and seemingly unsolvable wars going on between Ukraine and Russia, fights continuing between Israel and Palestine, the situation with Syria still not looking flash, capitalism continuing to do what it does. Um, which tends to be, uh, it keeps our economy rolling, it tends to uh, get the rich richer and not care so much about the poor, it often feels as if the world is permanently tangled. But I have some stories of hope for you. Mixed hope, some of them are messy, and that we're going to start off with Malcolm and Wendy. So, where are you, Malcolm? Wendy, would you like to come up? So Malcolm and Wendy, uh, this is their last Sunday before they head off to Thailand to teach the All Nations course. Wendy, do you want to tell us, once again, tell us a bit about All Nations, what you're doing? Uh, good morning. Um, yes, we leave on next Saturday, uh, early in the morning, so, and we'll be away for seven weeks. So we're going for the Nations course. The Nations course, uh, Malcolm and I are responsible for it, and we're in charge of it. It is a course that uh, teaches um, young, and sometimes not so young, uh, missionaries to make disciples 
in, in different nations. So we teach lots of different subjects. It's a preparation course. Uh, we're teaching them interpersonal relationships. That's actually the number one reason why people leave the mission field. Um, we're teaching them um, how to make disciples. We're teaching them how to plant churches, um, cross-cultural communication, lots of different things um, to make their time more effective on the field. And the course kind of began as train, mostly training Western missionaries to be placed in positions, but something's changed, hasn't it? Yes, um, World Outreach is, is um, focusing um, on majority world people. Um, so there's lots of missionaries from lots of different places um, going to different places, but often they're just going uh, to a neighbouring community or, a, um, or just to another island within their own country. So we have people from Indonesia, we have people from India, um, we have uh, people from Africa, from Kenya, um, Cambodia, lots of, lots of different um, nationalities. So it's mostly this, this year, um, I think we only have one, one Westerner and we have 21 uh, majority world people. And you're going to be jumping on the plane flying to Chiang Mai to do the second half of the course. They've been doing an online course with you over the last... Yes, we've had four sessions online, four three-hour sessions, and they've had a lot of homework also to do with that. So that's um, sort of like a preparation, and then we spend four weeks together in Chiang Mai. Great. For a lot of them, they won't even have travelled out of um, their immediate area, uh, their, their, their countries. Um, so it'll be quite an experience for them. Yeah, for a lot of them it'll be the first time on a plane and actually then to go into another country, mm. yeah. Mm. So if we're praying for you and we'd like to be praying for you, what would you like us to be praying? Uh, that everybody can make it. <laughs> um, it's quite a process because they're all coming from countries that need visas. Um, most of them have got visas, um, um, but there is still some, some who haven't yet. Um, that they'll travel safely. Um, some are travelling with very young children from very far away. Uh, family from Kenya with two very young children. This will be their first time on a plane and they're going all the way over to Chiang Mai. Um, and just pray that um, us as, we have a team of trainers that we will be able to communicate really clearly because a lot of um, people, English is their second language. Um, that they will be able to grasp the, the concepts and learn, learn a lot so that they can take the gospel uh, more effectively across cultures within their countries. Yeah, which is a bit of an ask. Now, um, this uh, time last week, Chris Chamberlain uh, announced that we were going to do the service on uh, persecuted people uh, in Parklands, which wasn't quite what I'd said to him. Well, it wasn't what I'd said to him. <laughs> but part of what had happened in the mix is that um, you've been getting emails um, and connections from some people from Manipur. Yes, you tell you a bit more about it, yeah. Manipur, that's that little red blob up there. It's a state of about, uh, um, I think it's two, two million thereabouts, two to three million. But in the centre there's a city called Impal. It's about, the, it's about twice the size of Christchurch. And uh, it hasn't been a lot in the New Zealand news, but there's been quite a lot of conflict, a tribal conflict, a religious conflict, and land wars, et cetera, and it's all, it goes back many decades, but it's sort of come to a head, and in the last six weeks, there's been a number of um, uh, challenges, and, uh, and I've been, we've got six people who are in the middle of that city 
some of them first time travelling, trying to get passports and visas and get there on time. And one of the way the government controls the strife is to pull the plug on the internet. <laughs> so, yeah. So you showed me some texts that you had people who could go to the airport. It's the only way they could get information out and send you texts from the airport. Sure. Otherwise the internet's been switched off. Yeah, so I'll read you one from, from a chap called Mai. Um, his, uh, his wife is Perny. And um, he just sent me this literally just last Thursday, or th Thursday uh, before last, 10 days ago. He, Dear sir, he always, they always call me sir. Um, <laughs> I request uh, that uh, we are still, I'm going to sort of slightly paraphrase it, the English is slightly curious, but um, just, just briefly, he says that uh, I inform you that we still do not have internet in, in, in Manipur. I'm just called into the internet, uh, got internet for 30 minutes only at the airport to communicate to you after long, long days. Sir, here in Manipur, there is still tension. It's very high. Uh, schools, boarding, something, boarding rooms, offices, and all activity is closed. There is no church services. My church that is newly constructed was also burnt down. People threaten us. Uh, he then goes on and says, in this situation, his wife's not able to come. And... Um, and then he, he goes on and says, um, uh, pray for our ministry. We're not able to have any gatherings. Tension is very high. Believers are in fear. There is killing every day and the burning of houses every day. More than 1,500 church houses have been burnt down and more than 500 churches have been burned to the ground. Yours, my and Perny. And that's the second one I've had like that. And uh, it just reminds us that there is persecution and... Uh, we, we, we feel greatly for these people. We sort of actually feel quite helpless apart from that we have a great God. Uh, we know that um, two of the five now uh, have got passports and visas, but the other three, their passports literally are stuck in another city. They're, they're prepared to drive there. It's 12 hours drive, but they're not in the city passport office. They're somewhere in some cubicle at an airport waiting to be dispatched. It's just the, the whole thing's sort of log jammed and... Um, yeah, so we're trying to uh, wrestle with that. And, and I think the last point I make is that it's, whilst there is complexity and we don't necessarily understand all the, all the fighting, um, there is a sense, again, of Ephesians 6.12, that our fight is not against flesh and blood. There is a spiritual dimension to this very much as well. We believe. So what, what I'd like to do, actually, um, Mark, would you like to come up and join me for a moment? Just take a, 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 a new Um I'd like to pray for you guys. I wonder if you would pray... Uh, I wonder if as... How do we do this? Mark and I would like to pray for you. Um, then I'd like us to pause and I'd like you just in little pockets to pray for the, um, the Christians in Manipur. I'll tell you a tiny bit more about that after that. Um, I have got this to pass on, this little um, punamu in here, um, being the, the Maori way to recognise works of great substance. Um, we've been trying to sponsor someone and it's uncertain they'll be able to make it. Um, if they can't make it, then uh, we'll, uh, if you've specifically given money towards this, we'll let you know, um, but we'd like to pass it on to sponsor someone else if that's possible. If you would like other than that, can you please let us know? Yep. Um, but just for you to pass on as a way of us connecting and recognising that any local who's willing to um, teach other people about Jesus, sometimes at risk of their own life, that's really significant. Yep. So, uh, can you...
let's pray for you, and then um, we're going to pause for a moment. I'd like you to pray together for the Christians in Manapur. Pray for protection, for courage, for hope, for provision. Pray for the four people, you think, who are five who are trying to come to this course, and there's obviously passport problems. Let's do that. Um, can we, is there a mic? Awesome. We'll start. Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for the hearts of Mount and Wendy. Their heart is to serve you, to serve your body, and to um, reach out as well. Thank you for blessing them and enabling them to be able to take this time out and to uh, yeah, spend so much time um, with these people and for this, this course. And Lord, I pray that you'll give them absolute wisdom um, as they lead. Uh, you'll give them insight in how to move mountains. And Lord, I just pray your spirit will just flow through them and they will be a blessing to many nations. Mm. Yes, Lord. God, we pray for protection for Malcolm and Wendy as they travel, protect their family back here. We ask that you would lead them to the positions where they can be most helpful. Give them a good meeting with their team who are teaching the course. And we do pray that you would multiply from what they have sometimes from hard places learnt, that they would be major contribution to others. We would love to see them encourage and build up the kingdom of God in this. And then bring them home safely. Amen. Okay, got a minute or two, talk to the person next to you. Have you been persecuted? No, um, uh, if you can just pause and pray for the Church of Manipur. Forgive my rudeness. From our places of relative comfort, we pray for those who are being persecuted. Pray for freedom from the fear that robs life. Disarm the violent. Bring justice and peace. Provide for them shelter, food, encouragement. Grow the churches that have been attacked. May their faith speak loudly of the people of your love. In Manipur and around, may your love win Tiny bit of background here. I don't know an awful lot about Manipur. Um, it's a dense area. You can see it's kind of just, a, it's called the disputed area, which means that um, they were never entirely sure where it should go. When um, England decided to pass things back, they um, made all sorts of odd calls about what, who would go where. And they didn't really know what to do with Manipur. Um, so, and you can, see, you can see this is India. And here is the connection to Manipur. And this is um, this area here. Probably better over here. Bangladesh, Myanmar, they're kind of troubled places to be connected with. Um, oddly, in, uh, um, in 19, between 1960 and 2011, there was, uh, so they think 1960, 62% of people there were Hindi and 19% were Christian. Um, in 2011, they said 41% um, were Hindi and 41% were Christian. 
which just means in this particular area, there's been a massive growth in Christianity. Yeah? You can ask some questions about cultures in there. And probably in that environment, um, I don't, you can't see the details, everything's too small, my apologies. Um, this is actually a Presbyterian church that, that has been burnt down, but actually lots of things have been burnt down. Um, villages have been burnt down. So it's hard to know how much of this is. Um, there's different cultures, and there's a, but how do they end up with 41% Christian in an Indian province? Because they're not famous for this. Well, I know, but I started thinking, well, I think, okay, personally, I've never been a fan of, um, I've not been someone who's wanted to devote lots of time to the persecuted church. And partly because sometimes people who are banging that drum uh, bang it really hard, and I'm never entirely sure how true it is. But in this case, there's a relationship. Just Malcolm's getting texts from these guys in this awful position, so let's pay attention to that relationship. So I started thinking, well, how did that happen? Well, here, let me tell you a little bit about New Zealand, and particularly um, the New Zealand Baptist Union, because there's some links. So in 1882 was the beginning of the New Zealand Baptist Union. It had originated, go Ototahi, um, with um, a, a regional association in, in Christchurch. A bunch of Baptist churches said, we should do things together. So they started doing things together, and then it ended up being that they... That the national group said, well, actually, we should do them as a nation. So, 1882, the New Zealand Baptist Union got together. In 1885, they formed a missionary movement. And in 1886, they sent Rosemary MacDonald to, no, not Manipur, but this area here, which nowadays we would call Bangladesh, India, this area here. And in 1887, um, they sent Anna Newcomb, and they continued to send people to this area of India, which is a, a cross from. I know a tiny bit about this because when I first went to study at Kerry Baptist College, my principal was Brian Smith, and he had spent a whole bunch of years in this kind of area. I mean, one of his significant works was that he translated the Bible into a local language, and after his time... They just had hundreds and hundreds of baptisms. And he translated it, he said, because he was having a cup of tea and just thinking, how are people going to know Jesus if they can't hear his stories? And how are they going to hear stories if they don't know the language? I've just got to do something about it. And we know that there were the, the, for the New Zealand Baptists, this was a pretty significant thing. They had invites from Maharajas who had seen what a difference Jesus had made. And oh, let's just, as Malcolm and... Um, Sorry, are uh, Alan and Jan here? No, ask Alan and Jan. They spent some years in Bangladesh. They'll know some of these stories. There are some stunning stories of the Great Commission at work. And in fact, as it stands at the moment, Aratahi has a whole bunch of visas that could be filled, working visas to go and work in Bangladesh, which is almost unheard of for a religious organisation. But um, have you noticed this little gap here? 1882, Baptist Union got started. So maybe, it's just possible, we may have had some play in why there's a whole bunch of Christians there. By 1983, now you've heard a little bit of this before, story, the Baptist Union thought, well, we've got a whole bunch of people who need to know Jesus here. So they set up a Maori mission in Rotorua, and they employed someone to go, and um, at the time, alcoholism was a really big issue, um, so they had to go and work there. So 1883, there's basically the money that NZBMS gets, uh, gets collected gets sent either this way or this way, which is all very well and good, but in 
1887, no, 1888, um, things didn't go well on the local front. Apparently, the person they employed did not get on well with Maori, which was not a great start. <laughs> Quite fond of telling them how to do things, um, and that did not go over well. Um, so in 1883, they folded it, and at that particular meeting, some really stupid things were said. Um, at that time, partly, this is gonna, uh, at that time, they had thought Maori were dying off really quickly. It was, um, there was an awful lot of both through land wars, but actually also just a lot of Western disease, and they thought that Maori were a dying race. So they decided they wouldn't put any more money towards uh, Maori mission, they just let it all go to India, Tripura, Bangladesh, um, which uh, is, and no one spoke about that for quite a while. And then more recently, some people paid attention, some Maori approached the um, Baptist Missionary Association in 2020, there was an official apology. But an apology, that's just words, isn't it? What do you do about it? Well, um, now Aotahi said, oh, actually, we used to put money into this and then we didn't, and, and our reasoning was really bad, so we need to do something about this. So they've done something about it. Now, with, though I'm not certain if technology will play as our friend here. James, let's just look and see if there's sound. Um, there should be a vid playing now, and it should have audio. Oh, yes! Opportunities are arising. The Spirit of God wants to lead us. Are we listening? Sean has been a part of Baptist Fano for many years, bringing wisdom and a spirit attuned heart, as well as the full richness of treasures from his Whakapapa. Sean is rooted within the Mortuwika community, weaving himself into precious spaces through the guidance of Te Wairo Tapu. Whether it's at Touchfield, it's at Madaka, making hybrid at the Marae, or you know, dropping the hangi, or it's helping people through their time of grief at Tangihanga. Uh, for me, that's our mission field here. Oh, in 2001, there was this, I guess, a real prompting to go back to the Marae, back to our old ways. So <laughs> it's like I'm becoming like my great grandparents in a sense. And they were simple people. But they had great connection to the Finua and the Moana and the Ngahere and those things. But seeing that, seeing their generosity and being fishermen as well, and you know, 20 fish, go fishing, get 20 fish, get home, we've got two fish left. So it's, it's been a bit like that. And you know, we talk about meeting needs and stuff, what does that mean? You know, a cliche, give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach him how to fish. You know, you got to feed him for a lifetime, and it's a bit like that. And so, really big on teaching whānau how to gather kai, because it's through these activities and these more informal spaces. For me, that's hāhi. 
So going bush with whānau or going to the ocean for a few days and camping off-grid, for me, that's, that's the mission field. And you know, after a long day, you're sitting around the fire after a fight, you start to talk things and you find that's what people start to share. They start to share their hearts and their pain and their pain. And so that's what it is. It's being led. You know, the way to it is a sense of excitement and enthusiasm. And I believe those are one of the tohu as far as I'm concerned. At Arotahi, we are returning to our roots. In the 1880s, our relationship began with Māori and Te Wairoa that we withdrew from. But in 2023, God is doing a new thing and hand-carving a new creation. Everything God does is redemptive. Sean and Motuika Baptist are entering into a partnership that spreads its roots into every corner of the community the first of its kind in Baptist Aotearoa history. What if we're prompted by the radio couple you know and it's like sit, be quiet, be still, just listen and tune in to that, ah, you know. What might our faith communities look like if we partnered with neighbourhood leaders and took the church outside its four walls, being led into unfamiliar spaces with the Holy Spirit guides, where the Spirit is already at work. Will you recognise that God is at work amongst Māori in our Aotearoa community and support Sean? Mahi pai. Good works. So, look, there may be other things that they could do, but actually process-wise they asked a bunch of Māori who are part of the Baptist movement and said, what should we do? And they came back and said, back Sean. And so they are. And I briefly just want to say, oh, style, that's a good process, that's a good thing to do. We started talking about mission overseas, and in Aratahi there's a little bit of, oh, hang on, but we need to also pay attention to who we are. So I'm kind of pleased that there's something going, some money going towards something unashamedly Christian and unashamedly Maori. Is it the right thing? Well, actually, not, that's not my call. I think, actually, that's part of the balancing act for us. And in a political year, I read this week a lovely article by a guy called Mike Crudge. In the middle of the article, he talks about when things aren't right, sometimes what you need is the kind of blue guiding lines that you used to have when you learnt to write. Do you remember that? Just to keep your letters in the right spaces, because otherwise you go all over the place, I probably could still do with them because my writing's still not that flash. Mike said, sometimes we just need those guidance lines to try and get us on track. And to some extent he was um, referencing things like co-governance, saying, we've got to get into a relationship together. We might need the guiding lines until we don't need them anymore. A bit like the writing. I think that's a reasonable call. Because there are some places where we do stray outside the guiding lines. And it can be really tricky. I'm sorry, the text is too small. We make a big deal about the Great Commission. But sometimes we forget actually who we are is really important. In Ezekiel 34, there's a chapter that talks about shepherding. It's not read an awful lot because it's a bit harsh. 
One of the things you notice in Jesus is he always cares about the people who aren't being cared for. In Ezekiel 34, Ezekiel writes to people who were supposed to be shepherds, but hadn't been. So he says things like, shouldn't shepherds feed the sheep? You're all very happy to eat the fat and close yourself with the wool and slaughter fatted calves, but if you're not feeding the sheep, what are you doing? You haven't strengthened the weak, you have not healed the sick, you have not bound up the injured, you have not brought back the strays, you have not sought the lost. And he goes on to talk about that shepherds are supposed to protect the sheep from wild animals, not supposed to rule them harshly. And then halfway through he mixes his metaphors and starts talking about fat sheep who kind of elbow the thin sheep out of the way and tread on the food. And all he's really trying to say is it really matters that we are caring for the people around us. And then at the end of Ezekiel 34, he says, I'll lead you to a place where things will be right and you will be my sheep and I will be your God. Essentially, he says, take care of the lost, the least, the last and the few. This crops up as often as our calls to mission. Who we are, how we behave to the people around us matters. I don't think I'm brave enough to say I'd put that up alongside the Great Commission. I might put up Luke 4, 18-19 about how God had anointed Jesus to bring good news to the poor, freedom to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. When we forget this, we can miss the point. There's a famous Australian quote uh, from an Australian Aboriginal who said, if you've come here to help me, you're wasting your time, but if you've come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. It's a nice sentiment. What he's trying to say is actually who we are matters. So let's pause for a minute. What do you remember about what Sean said in that video clip? I don't know if you noticed, but he told two seemingly disconnected stories, that both of which hit me. So one of them was, he said, if you go fishing and you catch 20 fish, but by the time you get home you only have two, something's wrong. Well, that's an interesting story, isn't it? What do you think he's talking about? Well, he could be talking about a lot of things, but I'd probably, if I put that next to church, I'd go, oh, actually, yeah, we've brought a lot of people to Jesus. Ah, uh, who aren't here? They're not necessarily in our church either. They've got this really big back door. And the other thing he talks about that had me curious, he talked about was his sense of needing to return to his roots, go back to his marae, learn to live slow and be connected. And that hit me because then a few weeks ago, um, Linda and I went to a, uh, a nohal that I stay with doing this Maori course. And actually, uh, those of you here who have done Tadeo or are doing Tadeo, there's this thing you do if you don't for the Wananga where they do the Whakatau uh, Hinginaro, uh, um, which is for me the perfect way to make a whole bunch of Westerners feel uncomfortable. Okay, absolutely. It's, it's almost better than saying to a whole bunch of blokes, now we're going to dance. It's, it's these kind of relaxation exercises, lifting up, acknowledging the sky, acknowledging the earth. Now, I don't know about you guys, I just want to skip this. I'm, not that, I'm here to learn a language. I'm not here to learn how to relax, is how I think. But they keep bringing us back to them. And then out of the marae, standing outside the marae, where they're getting us to look up to the sky, reach down to the ground, you know. Yes, you can see my enthusiasm bursting through every um, vein. And then you turn 
and then you turn and you do it again and again and kind of at the end of it you can see what's what my take on it they're trying to get us centered in where we physically are and that's not easy I've had a cold this week do you know what I do when I get a cold I read I read because I'm miserable and so my escape is I read a story from somewhere else. It's a little bit like some of you will binge Netflix. When you, you know, I'll, I'll, another story will distract me from the fact that I'm miserable and uncomfortable. What my culture has taught me is to escape in my mind. And what they seem to be saying is, no, no, be present in your body here and now. And I go, yeah. You know, my culture's not very good at that. I'm much stronger, so to speak for me, much stronger at the head and this and that and the other. But actually being present? No, I'm not so good. And there's a strong Christian tradition of this coming out of the contemplative prayer world. How we are placed. So they get us to breathe in. Ah, easier to do when your nose is blocked. Breathe out. Haki oto haki waho. There's a bit of this is my liberation bound up a little bit with theirs because I have something to learn from them? Is there a gift in this? I think there is. So there we are on the Marae. Um, how are we doing for time? Okay, I'm just to tell you a couple other stories, short stories. Apologies if they don't connect that well. Um, Anuka Manawa's got a, a lovely tradition. They were one of the two places in the South Island who uh, signed the... Um, Treaty of Waitangi. Um, I, I understand more why. Um, on a Friday night, the courier told us some. Courier told us some stories. There were some really funny stories. I have to tell you another time. And then there was the story how in um, 1830 Tarapraha came down um, to the South Island. And those of you know of Tarapraha, he came down. First of all, he went to Tuahiwi and kind of. Um, uh, I tend to think of a rape and pillage, but you know, attacked and that kind of thing. And when he got to Unuku, he'd had made an arrangement with a captain, oh, I can't remember, Captain Smith? Hold on, I'll just go to the Captain John Stewart. And so he had a Western-style sailing ship with a Pākehā captain, and this was essentially a Trojan horse. Now, this was new to the Maori in 1830. So sailed into the harbour, um, got people to invite local Maori to come come on the boat and uh, in the underneath in the uh, hiding were all of Tarapraha's troops so there was a general massacre and significant people were kidnapped and it was pretty awful and apparently one of the reasons that there was quite a lot of pressure uh, was a fuel for having a treaty of Waitangi because there was no way to hold Captain John Stewart to account because there was no legal system for it and they thought we can't have this happening so I heard the story. It wasn't a particularly nice story to hear. I went home, and when I got home, I had ordered a couple of books from Mana Bookshop because they were on sale. Here's a, a Maori version, an English version about Taori and, and her book. And I read this story, thinking about mission, thinking, well, actually just reading the story. And uh, here is a quickly summarised version of Taori who brought peace to the iwi of Aotearoa. She was 12... Her father took her to a mission school run by Alfred and Charlotte Brown, and she was such a good student, she got given a prize for Sunday school. Anybody here ever get a prize for Sunday school? Oh, yeah, a few of you. Good on you. I never went to Sunday school, so I don't know. Um, <coughs> the prize she got given was a Gospel of Luke, 
in a little um, kit, a little basket, which she wore around her neck. Nice story. Lovely. And, uh, well, it turned out that there were troubled times. The mission school had to be moved to Tauranga. They're on their way through the bush. A raiding party from um, Te Arawa finds them. Um, uh, a, a worker and a bunch of people escaped, but Taori is killed. Children's story, this. And the, uh, the book is recognised as being important, so it's taken from the neck, and uh, the warrior takes the book and reads it, because it's in Māori, and reads the message, love your enemies, said the book. And the warrior goes, oh. Apparently he goes off to ask a significant Māori person for forgiveness, and that person hears this and says, oh, okay, and forgives, and there's no acts of revenge. And that gospel, if I've got it right, ends up uh, in Otaki, where the warrior chief is Terapraha. And Terapraha reads the message. We're not certain what happens to his faith, I've read conflicting results. Uh, he is certainly part of building the Rangiatea church. And the end of this box points out that Tarapraha's son, Katu, and nephew, Tefifi, take this message through the South Island to visit all the tribes that Tarapraha had savaged to try and show, hey, here's this gospel of peace. And so today, apparently when the Tangata Whenua say the missionaries brought Christianity to this country, they say, but it was our people who gave it to each other. Oh, there were pictures. Which brings me back to the Tangled. Ah, this was going to be more coherent than it is. The Spirit of God works through the relationships we have. The Spirit of God reaches out and does not write in straight lines. We wouldn't do it this way. None of us would choose to say, Manipur, yeah, let's have persecutions break out. No. We wouldn't choose to allow massacres. We wouldn't, this isn't, but God works through the complicated, tangled stuff of our lives. Bringing a gospel of peace. So to semi-wrap up our month of May, a couple of weeks late, <laughs> I'd want to say one of the themes that has come and uh, that has been arising is pay attention to the Good Commission. But with it, pay attention to the relationships you have, tangled or untangled. God works through those too. I would say pay attention to the things you might think are irredeemable, like a massacre. And ask to see if God will show you a way out that gets some value from it. I'm bad at money, so I'm just going to say May Mission Month is to remind us to give towards mission. I don't mind. Aratahi would be quite happy for you to pay them directly. So uh, their website's there, and feel free. The only reason that you would pay through the church is that you can get receipts from us and that we can feel good about it. Okay. Oh, yes, we're giving this to mission. But actually, that's not what matters. What matters is that we do recognise that we are connected to people on other sides of the world and near, and that from the resources that we have, we give some towards that. 
So I would like to remind you that we don't give money towards mission. We probably have some decisions to make as a church about where we give our money towards mission. In the perfect world, we would love to have an ongoing relationship with a people and a place because then you can have the exchanging happen well. Um, I do think what Malcolm and Wendy are doing is really strategic. This is a way that Westerners can make a really big difference. And so I personally want to notice, notice the connections that... Um, notice the texts Malcolm's been getting. Notice the connections they're developing and wonder, God, what might you do through that? Yep. But I don't want to say what they are. I would like to ask all of us to pay attention to those. And if, when you are able to give money, please do. I'll put something in the news about it next week. This was a paid for... No. <laughs> in the meantime, um, what we want to hear from the tangled and untangledness is that even when you've got a cold, God is at work. Even when things go wrong, God is able to rescue even when one a murderous guy is out to kill lots of others, that does not stop God working. There are further ways. And I would pray that that, that Taratraha story, some version of that would be at play in Manipur now. That there might be people who are turned in their tracks like Paul by the actions of Christians who were never promised, we were never promised an easy one that everything would go right for us. That is not the deal. We promise that truth will win, that love conquers, that it's worth it. Amen.